Good to see you here this morning. As you know, I've been dealing with some health issues for almost two months with a diagnosis this week of uh, vestibular neuritis. Basically, that means that I had a virus that affected the left side of my head, inner ear, throwing off my balance. So I'm not stable. I'm more uh, than my normal unstable self. I'm really not stable. And I'm a game-time decision whether I can preach like right now. We have a backup in place. So if I fall over, but you know, the elders have said, dude, go recover, rest and stuff. But I'm like, I have three prelude to revival sermons written and I don't want those to go to waste. And it's kind of like when I'm weak, God is strong. And so you guys don't mind if I lay down and preach or sit and preach. I mean, we're going to get through this. If it doesn't work, it doesn't work. Um, but I'm telling you, one week from today's prelude to revival, we, this is like, this is the best time. Every four years we do this. This is so awesome. I love prayer revival. Six days, morning and night, filled with preaching and praying and worship, culminating with baptisms after church. Um, I'm telling you, make it a priority to be at that. It's going to be totally awesome. So to get us in the mode for that, I want to begin this morning by focusing on the glory of God. Can we do that? We're going to focus on the glory of God. What is God's glory. I even want the kids that are in here to understand God's glory. Well, in one sense, the glory of God is this bright light surrounding him when he shows up on the scene. For the Old Testament, God shows up bright light. Did you know that we're in heaven? There'll be no sun because God will give it light. Yet in another sense, when theologians talk about the glory of God, they talk about God in his fullness. And his fullness means all of his attributes Uh, combined and expressed. By saying the glory of God, it means all who God is in his awesomeness and magnificence and beauty. But the Bible also talks about human beings were created to bring God glory. And all that you think and say and do, you were created to magnify God, to to bring him praise and to spread his fame. And to glorify him is to be caught up in what he does. As you may know, the the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And as we enjoy him and obey him, he gets the glory. But here's the deal. Unfortunately, we blow that as human beings. We don't give him glory. We don't give him praise. In fact, we invert it. Rather than worshiping him, we worship ourselves. We focus on ourselves. And the more unfortunate thing, this is what we do even as believers, right? Even as believers, we focus on ourselves. We invert worship that is supposed to go to God, and we focus in on ourselves. And you may be going through a season right now where you have inverted the glory of God. Maybe you're going through a season where you're not excited about the things of the Lord. Maybe you feel spiritually sluggish, numb, or distant from the Lord, and then at times I feel this, and something seems, seems off. But if I could put uh, my finger on the main reason why I think we invert this worship from worshiping God to on ourselves, if I could put my finger on the main problem, I would say it's this. Are you make sure you're with me. Don't miss me on this one. The main problem when we invert this worship is that we're not making the Lord a priority. The Lord's just not a priority. And if you're distracted in your life right now or preoccupied with other things, I know some of you during this season, you're so focused in on whatever you're doing, trying to build a family or get married or, you know, 
go to school. And if you if you got a boyfriend or girlfriend, you know they're very distracting as well. You know. <laughs> But right now, maybe the Lord's just not a priority in your life. And I'll tell you what, if you're one of those guys or girls that are in here, you say, you know what? I'll seek the Lord in the next season of life. Then you know for sure right now he is not a priority. And when God sees that you're not making him a priority, and if you are definitely his kid, he will come to you and intervene in your life to stir you up to take your worship off yourself back onto him. And what we're going to see this morning is uh, the Lord does that to a group of people in the Bible. He comes to stir them up. And that's what I'm praying that he does to us. And so let's go ahead and turn to the book of Haggai. You guys want to do that? Let's turn to the book of Haggai. See if you can find it. Look on someone next to you. I believe the message he gave to a faithful remnant many years ago to stir them up, he's going to give to us this morning. So let's jump right into Haggai 1, chapter 1, verse 1. I'm just going to jump in. In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. All right, here we go. Quick context. The Israelites are back in the land, the promised land, after a 70-year exile. Remember this, Ezra? We studied this past summer. And their first priority was to rebuild the demolished temple. Okay? Back in the land after 70 years, your priority, Israelites who returned, is to rebuild the demolished temple. So they get back to the land. They're pumped. They start working on the temple, restoring the altar. And in the second year, they laid the foundation of the temple. But unfortunately, they had some discouraging pushback. The people of the land were against them. And so after laying the the foundation and sort of creating the altar, they, they stopped working on the temple. And the work was shut down for 16 years. So God sends Haggai to the leaders of Israel, Israel, and the political leader, Joshua, who is a spiritual leader, to stir them up. Watch what God says to them in verse 2. Thus says the Lord of hosts, these people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. After 16 years of work stoppage, the people say, ah, it's not the right time. No, it's not the right time. Maybe they're thinking, you know, our economy is kind of in a slump right now, or we still need to get settled. What if we face opposition again? It's it's just not the right time. (laughs) And I think many of you are probably saying the same thing. It's not the right time to invest in the work of the Lord. Maybe you have too much going on, you're too distracted, and it's not the right time to get going with the things of the Lord. And if that's you, look what God says in verse 3. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruin? God shoots back and plays off their excuse of time. It's not time to rebuild the Lord's house, but you know what? It looks like it's time for you to build your paneled house. Looks like it's time for you to spend all of your time working on your degree. Looks like it's your time to spend all of your time on your own house remodel. (laughs) Looks like it's time for you to spend all your time focusing on yourself. But here's the deal, my brothers and sisters. 
It is not a time issue, but a heart issue. It is not a time issue, but a heart issue. If you're here this morning talking about you don't have enough time to give to the Lord, it is not a time issue, but a heart issue. Now, many of you show up here on Sunday morning, and the rest of your life you're doing your own thing, and you're focused on doing your own thing, and at this part in your life you're not engaged in the Lord's work, Uh, you see yourself as a main priority, you have these, what James Boyce calls, inverted priorities, inverted priorities. Now, as your pastor... I've seen something from a pastoral perspective that I'm going to just share with you. And I love you. And I can say these things to you after 13 years, okay? So we say our church is pro-life. We believe in justice and racial reconciliation. And we believe in compassion for refugees, right? Amen, amen, and amen, okay? One of the ways that we can be pro-life is caring for vulnerable children, Now, if you've ever been with me for the past 13 years, there's nothing I talked about more than caring for vulnerable children, adoption, foster care, safe families, tutoring, vulnerable children, right? We talk about it all the time. So we do these events. We put them together. In fact, October 18th, last year, year before last, I preached on orphans on my birthday. I was so pumped about the seminar we were going to have after church, and guess what? The attendance was absolutely pitiful. We say we're pro-life, we say children are vulnerable, it should be a priority, and yet when we have things, where are you at? Okay, let's do this. All right, not only are we pro-life, but we say, all right, we're really into racial reconciliation and justice issues. Okay, really, are you? Two years ago, after Ferguson, we had Bill Reed, African-American, come preach from this pulpit about living under Jim Crow. And then we had one of the best guys in America, Dr. Peter Cha, talk about how we can be a flourishing multi-ethnic church. And you know what? The attendance at that event was absolutely pitiful. And then we had a follow-up book discussion, which is even worse. And now we say, hey... We really want to have compassion for refugees. But you know what? We've been trying to get stuff going at this church for years, bringing in outside organizations to care and get refugees resettled, and the attendance at those things are absolutely pitiful. And I want to know, what is the deal? We say we're pro-life. We say we want a flourishing multi-ethnic church. We say we want to take care of refugees, but when it comes down to it, where are you at? And my only conclusion is, it's just not a priority. Because I know you care. I know you care. I know you do. But where are you at? Inverted priorities, right? You've inverted your worship. You know it's the priority of God. You know that's what he wants. But the priority is yourself at this season in your life. You say, next season, vulnerable children. Next season, refugees. Next season, multi-ethnic church. Yeah, we'll do that later. Where are you at? It's not a priority. And that's what God is doing to his people right now. Where are your priorities? And look what he says to them. Look what he says to them. Look what he says. Verse 5. Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Stop what you're doing. Consider your ways. You've become indifferent to the priorities of the Lord. 
In times past, you may have been all in, but now you're doing your own thing, uninterested in the work of the Lord. Consider your ways. My brothers and sisters, everyone in here, consider your ways. Verse 6 says, you've so much and harvested little you eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves with no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into bags with holes. And then he goes on and on and on and on to talk about how the heavens have held their rain and now there's a drought. He's saying, look, you're working hard, but you're not getting much back. And that's my doing is what God is saying. The Lord is trying to get their attention. Since you're not building my house, he has neglected them. And I'm wondering if God's trying to get your attention, because I know he's certainly trying to get my attention right now as I'm having a difficult time being stable in my life, and I am feeling sick, right? Okay, God, I'm listening. And I'm wondering what's going on in your life. There's something hard going on. And if you're having some issues in your life, you may be prosperous or maybe have abundance in your life, but you may feel empty inside. You may feel numb inside. You may feel distant from the Lord. Maybe that's God's doing right now to try to get your attention to make you consider your ways. Is the glory of God a priority or not? If not, acknowledge this. Don't keep talking about how he's a priority, but when it comes time to do something, we don't do that. We do nothing. This is me too. This is a good time in my life when I, have, I do not have balance. I'm laid on my back. Okay, God, I'm considering my ways. You may not be laid up right now, but come on now. It's time to consider your ways. Verse 7. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the hills and bring some wood and build the house that I may take pleasure in it and may be glorified, says the Lord. What is the deal with God needing a house? Why does he keep saying build a house? Doesn't that confuse you? I need a house so I can be glorified. What do you mean? Do you need a place to live? No, no, no. It, it represents his presence and his relationship with his people. And I'll make sure you understand this, that during this time, a broken temple was symbolic of a broken relationship. They were back in the land. They were to rebuild the temple as the focal point for his presence and their relationship with God. And he'd be pleased. So the work on the temple, if they started working on the temple and building it, they're saying, God, you are a priority. I'm going to worship you. That's what their work would show. And I'm just going to say it. Your priorities show what you value and think are important. Your priorities show what you value and think are important. And when you make the Lord a priority and do his will, you show you the value and the worth of the Lord. Your priorities show what you think is important, right? It shows what you value. And I tell you what, if you start making the Lord a priority and start worshiping him and saying, okay, you are going to be a priority. I'm going to be, get on board with your plan for this world. And when you start making him a priority, you're going to start, you're going to start forgetting about yourself. Let me, let me give you this quote by Hannah Anderson. She says, when we are consumed with God's glory, we forget to worry about our own. <laughs> I like that. When we are consumed with God's glory, we forget to worry about our own. Now, usually when you read the prophets, if you ever do read the prophets, the people respond horribly, right? They get all rebuked, they do nothing, then God just destroys them, right? It's like repeating story over and over again. But not in this case. We actually have some good news here. The, the people are not hard-hearted. They respond. This is awesome. Verse 12, chapter 1, let's go. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, 
And Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet as the Lord their God had sent him. And the people feared the Lord. Oh, that's awesome. So they obeyed. They realized they had inverted priorities. It led to repentance and movement in the other direction. And and then the Lord stirs them up. They start doing this work. He assures them that he's going to be with them. And and look at verse 14. It says, And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the spirit of Joshua, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. You see that? You see that? God stirred them up. He said, okay, I'm going to stir you up by my spirit. I'm going to stir you up, and we're going to get to work on this house. We're going to build this house. I'm going to stir you up. And that's what I've been praying for you for a long time, that God would stir you up. I'm praying that next week when we launch into prelude starting next Sunday, that God would stir you up, stir you up to make him a priority, stir you up to worship him, stir you up to see that his heart is laid out here, and that starts to become your heart. I'm praying that God will stir you up for in your mind and in your heart when then you start to do stuff living for the glory of God. All right? So they're all stirred up now. They start working. Now get this. Now get this. Just because you start to make the Lord a priority does not mean everything's going to go great. Because these people start to make the Lord a priority and some of them are very disappointed. Let's jump in chapter 2. Chapter 2, verse 3. Who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts, according to the covenant that I made with you when you came up out of Egypt. My spirit remains in your midst. Fear not. All right, so are you with me here? So some of the old-timers, some of the old-timers, they saw Solomon's glorious temple, and they're disappointed at this puny temple. If you remember in Ezra, when they laid the foundation and everybody's worshiping, all the old people over there, they're crying. This is such a junky temple. They're disappointed. And yet God encourages them. He says, no, no, it's okay. I'm with you. Don't be afraid. Something great's about to happen, even in this temple. And my brothers and sisters, just because you start to make the Lord a priority doesn't mean it's all going to go well without disappointments. Some of you, starting today or next week, will start making the Lord a priority, and, and, you, and some of you will end up breaking up with your boyfriend. It's a prophecy. Or you'll break up with your girlfriend because you'll say, this is not honoring the Lord. And that will be disappointing and there'll be a lot of crying and late night talks. But I'm telling you, this is not a priority, right? And some of you, if you ever venture out, you say, you know, God stir me. I'm going to care for vulnerable kids. I'm going to do it. But you'll notice that when you start to care for vulnerable kids, you are more vulnerable than you have ever been. Just because you make the Lord a priority does not mean there won't be disappointments. There will be. But the Lord is with you. And God has this really great, cool plan that you just can't all see. But God sees. 
and he had a plan for this puny temple. And he tells them something cool is going to happen even in this puny temple. Let's finish up. Verse 6 through 9, chapter 2. For thus says the Lord of hosts, yet once more in a little while I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all nations, so the treasures of all nations shall come in, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. God says this temple might not look like much, but what is going to happen in this house is going to bring greater glory even in the house of Solomon's temple. What's God talking about, this greater glory? What's he talking about? This is really cool. You ready? You ready for this? What's he talking about? Many years later, in this temple that was kind of remodeled later on by Herod, right? You have Mary and Joseph. And they come in. And they bring their baby to this temple. And we have the greater glory entering this temple. That these people can't see what's going to happen. And this Messiah is going to come to this temple. And he's going to live a perfect life. He's going to die and he's going to rise. And he's going to set up an everlasting kingdom. So there is greater glory coming. And it may look so puny and be so disappointing right now. But greater glory is coming. And in your life, you may be disappointed. You may have decided to finally make a Lord a priority. But you need to know that God is still doing something in your life. And he's going to keep doing something. Because you are a part of a generation that can bring glory to God now. And contribute to something greater that will last beyond you. No matter how small and insignificant your life or your labor may seem right now. And it may seem in vain. I'm telling you. It contributes to this greater glory as you're part of his kingdom. But you're not part of that plan if the Lord's not a priority. If you've been neglecting God, if you've been doing your own thing, you've had these inverted priorities, this inverted worship, it's time to make a shift, to make a shift of priorities. And you may not know where to start, but I'm telling you, Next week, Prelude Revival is a great week to start to reset your priorities on the Lord and his glory. And I'll give you a 100% money back guarantee if it doesn't work. (laughs) Make it a priority to attend next week as much as you can. The last two times we have done this, I have been blown away by the number of college students that show up at 5.30 in the morning to pray. And if the college students show up and you don't, I will text you to shame you. <laughs> Make it a priority to get his word. Even if you don't feel, feel, you feel off to hear his word, to pray with his people, to take communion, to worship. I'm telling you, your your priorities will start to shift. And you'll say, whoa, I have missed it. And then your heart will start to change. Your mind will start to change. And you'll say, yeah, the Lord is a priority. Now, what does he say about how I should live? And you'll start moving out in those directions. So we we, we will no longer have these priorities pitiful days where we say we care but do nothing. We'll get caught up in his ways. 
We won't say, oh, yeah, we care about the Great Commission and sharing the gospel with them, but not do it. No, we'll start doing it. And we'll say, no, we care about orphans and vulnerable children, and then they do nothing. No, we'll start doing stuff and say, no, we really care about refugees, but we do nothing. No, we'll start doing stuff. That's what we want. We want this heart change to impact us. So we're not just talkers. We're not just merely listening to the word, but we're doing what it says. That's what God wants. And that's what will bring him glory. And that's my prayer for you. Let's pray. Father, you're so good. You're so gracious. You take us through seasons of suffering. You take us through seasons of pain. You take us through seasons of trials and numbness and a lot of other issues. And a lot of times you're just doing that to wake us up. And Lord, I'm in the midst of feeling it straight on right now, waking me up. And may you wake up my brothers and sisters. Wake them up. Show them that you can be enjoyed, and as you are enjoyed, you are glorified. May we not spend our time working on these silly, paneled houses. May we quit making excuses of time and just deal with our hearts and realize that you are the one working in us. You are the one who has saved us, made us a part of your kingdom, and you want us to go all out until we're with you. So, Lord, stir us now like you stirred your people then. Stir us now. I ask this in Christ's name. Amen.